Welcome to Wonder, a podcast equipping women to live a wonder-filled life with Chrissy Dunham and Lisa Clark. Chrissy is a women's minister who shares his story, his love, and his word by speaking, teaching, training, and mentoring women of all ages. And Lisa is the author of Raising Sinners and loves speaking to mom groups in Texas and beyond, encouraging them as they raise their children to love God with all their hearts. Don't you know that she's, she's some kind of wonderful? She's some kind of wonderful. Yes, she is. Welcome to the Wonder Podcast. Lisa, I have just been busting at the seams all day today. I couldn't wait to get on with you and our guests today because these are game changers, uh, warriors for the Lord, and what a story, what a story. So we're just going to jump right in because I don't want to waste any time. Our guest today is Debbie and Jared Stewart. And we are privileged and honored to have them here. And uh, Lisa and I have known them for a long time. And the Lord has done a work in this man's life. And this mama never stopped believing. She never stopped praying. And so did daddy. And so did grandma. And they have written a book about it. And it's all about a prodigal son. And we're just going to dive in and start at the beginning. And I'm starting on the first page because, Jared, this is your book. And you dedicated it to your grandmas. And Lisa and I are grandmas, and your mama's a grandma now. So for Dodie, G, and Pretty, we <laughs> want to know what your grandmas did that they were so important that you dedicated this whole journey and this book to them because I want to be like them. Well, I can tell you a big part of it was they were just so different in my life because. And, you know, a lot of people that haven't read it, I'll just, I'll just give you a little bit of a hint on it is uh, my grandmother passed away when I was a baby. I was five weeks old. So my mother's mother, excuse me. And my grandmother, my Mimi, she, uh, she's been there by my side ever since growing up. So I just look at that type of instruction. I can feel like the spiritual sense as far as with my mother's mother and just the physical sense with my father's mother. And I've been very, very, we have a very tight knit family, regardless of some things that I did to kind of strain it. They still stayed tough with me, but, um, but yes, ma'am, I wanted, I just felt like there was just nobody that, you know, I didn't want to slight my mother or anyone, but, uh, I just, they're just such a impactful in my life, you know, in the direction and through this whole struggle and change and everything. And I just, I just felt like, you know, there was just nobody that was more deserving to me, you know? So my mom was our first generation Christian. And so she did not become a Christian until her adult life. And it was women in the local church that poured into her. And when she died, I I kid people all the time and say, I come from a long line of wackadoos. (laughs) There's a lot of dysfunction in our family. So it wasn't anyone really in my family when my mom died. It was the women in the local church that, that stepped into my life. But they also did that with my mom. They gave her a Bible, which I still have. And as they taught her scriptures and whatnot, she was writing in a leaflet of her Bible. And one of the first scriptures she wrote was this, as for me and my house, we're not going to act that way. (laughs) So it was close enough, not quite uh, serve the Lord, but that's all that she could remember. But she set in motion and she drew a line. And this is what a lot of moms can do. This is what a lot of grandmothers can do. No matter what has happened in our life and in our history, our destiny is going to be different. 
And you may have been born into this bloodline to stop some crazy that's going on. And so my mom had a spiritual impact on Jared before he ever met her. And then his Mimi uh, has kept him since about two days after he was born. (laughs) Wow. I mean, it really is a testimony to prayer. I just want to say from the get-go that I loved the book. I read it in one day. It was just so powerful. And I want to jump right into your story, Jared, because I, like Chrissy, when I read the dedication in the first part, I thought, wow, this is so inspiring to me as a grandparent. But it was that same loss of a grandparent, Jared, that kind of started your whole journey, didn't it? Go ahead and tell us how your life was impacted by your grandfather's death. Uh, Yes, ma'am. I was probably somewhere between 13, 14 years old. And uh, he's just been a big factor, you know, in my life. He's just, we're just so close knit. So he's just a big influence. And, you know, as a little kid in your formative years, you want to emulate every single little mannerism and activity that he does. So I'm rolling around in the garden with him and mowing and stuff like that, you know? And, uh, you know, I was just a little immature kid and, and well, one night we got a call from my grandma and, uh, she just didn't know he wouldn't wake up. And what ended up happening is he had a heart attack in his sleep and he didn't feel any pain. So, I mean, thank the Lord for that, you know, that it was not painful at all. He just passed away. He had a heart attack and sleep, didn't even know anything, but it was just so unexpected and it just really shook our family. And I guess with me already trending and like, I was kind of already a little bit of a, you know, a little rebellious person, mainly because me as a child, I was kind of forced into church and I feel like people should be forced in church. Don't get me wrong about that, but I didn't like it because I was more, I wanted to go against the norm. You know, I feel like my sister loves church. My mom loves church. I don't like it. And I, I just don't like it right now. So I want to do the opposite. Well, anyway, I'm already trending in that direction. So with the loss of him, it just, it just made me so angry and kind of like blackout. Like I just was so mad and I was like, and I'm a little kid. So, you know, I'm questioning everything. Lord, why did this, why would you do that? He's an awesome man. Why would you take him from my grandma and my family and my, you know, and it was just so traumatic to me. And uh, I was, as I got a little, uh, you know, I started light, light things like cigarettes and then graduated to a little marijuana, you know, and it just felt like, you know, it's just a temporary release. And uh, I'll tell you one thing that is a quote, I kind of sticks with me now, but I wish this is one thing that I just scream at people that are going through drug abuse right now is that for a short period of time, drugs can make your life worthwhile, but in the long run, they'll take everything. And that's something that I just have to tell myself all the time because instant gratification, you know, is just, exactly what it is. It's just for now. It has no legs on it or anything of that nature. So I really, really try hard not to do anything uh, permanently stupid because I'm temporarily upset, you know? (laughs) So that's how I started trending in that direction. And then it just went on, you know, with some neighborhood kids in the wrong crowd. And I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm chasing the wrong crowd at the wrong time on the wrong day and everything, you know? So it took a, it took a roadblock for sure. Debbie, well, during that time, as you're watching that, what are you, what are y'all doing? What are you trying to do to help Jared deal with this? So we are doing everything humanly possible to do to help this kid. But here's the deal. You cannot make someone else stop doing drugs. If that's not the help, you can't get them to help. He's been in 
in and out of several different rehabs, different facilities and counseling. But if he did not want to be helped, we could not help him. So we we sought out counseling. We Our prayer strategies really had to be strong as we begin to put those in place. One of the hardest things we have had to do as parents is watch someone that you love make self-destructive decisions on a daily basis that spiral them darker and darker and darker. And one of the mistakes that we made is we tried to lecture Jared oftentimes. Why are you doing this? Why won't you stop? And, And not understanding addiction. We have a genetic predisposition in our family towards addictive behaviors, that has been proven uh, in our history. And so um, it was hard for me to know why he was doing this. And so really lectures did not help. He did not know why he was doing that. He could not put into words. So this is what we had to realize when we had about three things, tragic things happen when he was 14. And that made for the perfect storm in the counseling that we received. That just made for the perfect storm. Uh, So we decided to fight for Jared in every way that we could. And with my last breath, I'm going to fight for this kid. And so that's when mom and dads can't say, I am done. I am done with you. I'm over. This is over. I can't do this anymore. We just, that never entered our mind. We will fight for him with our last breath. Bottom line, never give up. Never give. We prayed for divine intervention. Uh, we prayed scripture. I stopped whining my prayers. Why is this happening over and over? I stopped whining my prayers. And I started praying scripture. And I started finding scripture about redemption. And then the Lord would just show that to me as you're in his word every day. Y'all know that my challenge to women specifically is 20 minutes a day for the rest of your life. Uh, it saved my life because there were days I, I didn't think that I could do it in, apart from the power of the Lord. But he walked away from the things of God. And like the prodigal father in Luke 15, we could not go after him. You can drag the prodigal back out of the pig pen, but if you drag them home, they're going right back. It's not until they come home on their own because of seeking forgiveness that they are really redeemed through that process. Don't drag them home. And I'll say another thing to parents, um, uh, stop the flow of money, you know, and in an enabling behavior, helicoptering in and just enabling, we realize that in our attempt to help Jared with a clean slate and to get this off his record and to help him st- fresh start and all of those things, we were enabling his unhealthy dysfunctional behavior. And until he began to feel the full brunt of the consequences of his choices. He didn't hurt until he felt that. And so we as parents need to, need to choices have consequences and we need to allow them to feel that. Now, that was a hard thing when, when he was arrested that morning, but we believe it saved his life. Would you say that? For sure. For sure. Uh, Two questions to follow up what you just said, Debbie. Um, you made Luke 15 come to life for me when you said, um, and I can't remember it now right off the top, but you said if what you just commented on. What does the Bible say about that? And then number two, to you and Jared, why do you think rehab didn't work? 
So number one, talk to us about Luke 15. (laughs) Okay. So Luke 15 says this, when the sun went off uh, to the far country, um, the Bible says in verse 16, no one gave him a thing. So just think about that for a second. No one gave him a thing. We know that the Bible said he was eating the pods that he was feeding the pigs. The next scripture, that's 16. Interestingly enough, verse 17, which has been Jared's number his entire life, verse 17 says, and he came to his senses. What the Lord helped us, this is not for, I don't know everybody out there, but I'm telling you what the Lord did for us. He helped us to realize those two things are connected, not giving him a thing, the full brunt of the consequences of the choices that he's making. And he came to his senses and he wanted forgiveness was the main thing that he wanted. And so that's what happened with Jared. He came to his senses once he was in prison and really off drugs. Um, he became, the Lord began to call him back and he came to his senses. But why do you think we, we've talked to a lot of parents, even since he's been out and since the book came out that have asked uh, Jared, would you talk to my son? Would you would you talk to him? He's on drugs. He's on the couch doing meth. He did meth this morning. Would you talk to him? I'm trying to get him to rehab. What did you say the other day when the mom said that? I can tell you, <clears throat> I know I know the exact answer. It's not even opinion. And it it's a little bit of what she said, but it's all the way true, is that no one is going to change until they want to change, no matter what. It don't matter how much their grandma loves them, how much their mom loves them, because she loved me to death through thick and thin, through everything, ups, downs, dark, light. But you're not going to change until something flips that switch, till the Lord flips that switch in your head. And that's when you're going to say, you just take a step back and say, what am I doing? Because, you know, looking back, and I was incarcerated for 10 years and five months. So that's uh, quite a bit. You know, most people, it's a couple years, and a couple years is a lot. But a decade is a lot more. So um, the main thing with me is I went in as an immature kid and I came to my senses through the process and it was hard and it was rugged and it was difficult and it was painful and emotional. But the reason is that people are not going to change until they want to change. And whether it be through scripture or some other avenue that they choose to find their enlightenment or their peace within, to me, it was the Bible. To me, it was the Lord, and to me, it was mature is what it was. I had to mature because I was an immature kid at 21. Well, today I'm 32 years old, and it almost took about four or five years in prison, to be honest with you, because my first three or four years, I was still bitter. I was angry. I was mad. I just so couldn't believe the way my life had turned out. But looking back through sober eyes now and then, I look at the way that I was like, you know, and I'll just be all the way real because I try to be honest in everything that I say. So brutally honest. I even tell my mom, if you don't want to know, don't ask because I'm going to give you the right. We ain't doing no more lying or hiding. So if you really don't want to know, the truth could be something you don't want to hear. Don't ask the question because I'm not going to lie to you to make you feel better. I'm just going to be honest with you, whether you like it or not. So in that we've come a long way with that, but it's just that you just have to want to change. I think maturity plays a part in it, of course, You know, but you look back and I look back, man, I stole from my family. I was stinking out the house. I'm doing drugs. I don't care what nobody thinks. I'm skipping school. I'm stealing from people just to get money to get drugs. You know, and it was just I was just so out of control that that divine intervention is what I needed. 
that that run into a roadblock, that terrible, terrible time in my life is turned out to be the best time in my life, you know, because you just have to learn. And thankfully, I got arrested because if I want to got arrested, I could almost guarantee you I'd be dead. You know, I'm shooting up heroin intravenously, you know, and look at the overdose rate that's going on these days. I could have died any single day. And if you read the book, you'll hear of a near death experience. So, I mean, it's real. And thank God I went to jail and set it to the grave. Hey, you guys, this is Lisa. And I just wanted to jump in here real quick and take a little break and let y'all know how appreciative Chrissy and I are that you listen to our podcast. And we're so encouraged by your comments and uh, just the um, engagement that we've had with each and every one of you. So thank you. We would love to partner with you if you have an organization or business and share your message on the podcast. We can do this just once or weekly or for the whole year. Let us know your business or organization by contacting me at lisaclarkspeaks.com. I'll get back with you and we can chat about partnering together with your business or organization through our 5013C, The Party Table. Thanks, guys. Now back to the show. And so that's when you really begin to understand and educate yourself as parents on what addiction is. We were raised in school. When we were in school, there were the campaigns, just say no, you know, just say no to drugs. That was the drug program. And so I'm saying to Jared, just say no, you know, just say, can't you just say no? And the truth is, no, you can't, not with addiction, not if you understand addiction. And, you know, we, we, we educate ourselves on cancer. We educate ourselves on other things that take our lives and we put whatever adjustments we need to in our life. We have got to understand what addiction is. Uh, we could not make Jared stop drugs. If a person could make another person do it, we would have successfully achieved that. We could not make him stop drugs. Then Jared got to the place he couldn't stop doing drugs. He couldn't make himself stop doing drugs. So that's when the Lord intervened. The Lord stopped him. And when he was incarcerated and got finally to his mind, back in his right mind. Now, I'll say this, too, and this is this might be controversial. And I don't each family has to decide for themselves. But in the state of Texas, when a teenager is 17, they're considered an adult. So I would encourage parents while they are 15, 16 before they get to that age, you do everything that you have the legal right to do to intervene and asking the Lord to intervene. Because once they're 17, you can put them in rehab, but they're not, if they don't want to stay, they're walking right out. They no longer need your signature to stay. They no longer need your permission for anything. And, and they are considered an adult by the state of Texas and the consequences are severe. So Debbie, you said that you could not stop him from doing drugs. And Jared, you echoed that. There was nothing. But but Mike, here's a question I have, and I think people might be thinking this, but is there something you could have done differently that he would have prevented him from ever doing it? Jared, is there something that, that parents could have done that would keep them from, from a person like you from doing it in the first place? Or was that just your path? Yeah, I don't think so. You know, that, that's just my opinion, but I really don't think so, because I think if there was ever a situation where someone was raised in the right manner to do the right thing and not resort to drug use, I think that would have been my upbringing. Yeah. But I'll say this as his parent. Here's one thing we would have done differently. We did not recognize how bad Jared was grieving when these three things happened. 
we're showing up to church on the next Sunday morning. And at that time, do you know what the popular song was? The popular song was, um, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we're standing in church the Sunday after Papa died, raising our hands saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he is infuriated on the inside. He's standing right there in church beside us. He's not coming to us. And at 13, a young man, boy, man, whatever it is at that point, he he did not know how to come to us and say, I'm so freaking mad at God right now. I can't stand it. We never had that conversation. And I wish that we, looking back, I wish that we would have, I I, I don't know, I don't want to say pay more attention because we were were very involved. We, We were a family that communicated. We talked about things, but Jared hid that. And I... I, I would have wished we could have better recognized we know this had to have hurt him. We know that he, if you give permission to be mad at God, we, listen, or if you're mad at God, just say so. I don't think he ever thought maybe he could come right out and say that. We would have um, gone a little different path on the grieving process. And he began to self-medicate because he just didn't know how to deal with it. And he didn't want to disappoint us. You know what, at that point, if a kid comes to your to your mom on staff at a church. I'm so freaking mad at God right now. I don't know what to do. I, he, he just didn't maybe feel, what do you think? Yeah. Feel the. Oh, that's all the way right. For sure. I would have never, I would have never said how I felt, but it did irritate me that they're steady praising the Lord. And I'm, and I'm cussing him out at that time in my head because I'm like, what? He just took, he got mad he just took the, I'm talking about the man of the Stewart. Fa- I'm talking about the ultimate man of the Stewart family. Who I can't think of nothing he ever did wrong. He's worked from sun up to sundown and a great husband and man and Christian and everything. And he has a heart attack in his sleep. And he was older, but he wasn't old by any means, you know? And it just it just irritated me. And I was already on the wrong path. And it, that that was the that was the switch that got flipped right there that that ultimately did it in. So you uh was it because your mom was on staff at a church or was it because, because y'all were a tight family and you communicated everything? What, what exactly was it that you didn't feel comfortable going to them saying, I am so mad at God. I don't get this. I don't understand it. Like what was it your mom's position? You didn't want to embarrass her. We like, what, what was it? That, that played a role in it. I, I don't think that's the biggest role as she thinks it is to me. It played a role in it, of course. And we're a tight knit family. But at the time, I'm trending in the wrong direction. So I don't really care what they think. I don't care what they want me to do because, honestly, whatever they want me to do, I'm about to do the opposite anyway, even if I don't want to do the opposite, just because I'm going to rebel out of spite because I'm angry and I'm upset and I don't agree with what they say. And in the back of my head, I mean, and also, you know, I'm 13 years old, so I'm not not the sharpest tool in the shed at that point <laughs> at all. Yeah. But I also knew that the way that they're living life after my grandpa died, and I know it affected them, but they didn't show it nearly as much as I thought that they should, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and that just pissed me off. Right. He, so you liked the way he felt. Yeah. He liked that feeling of, I don't, I'm out of reality. It was a, it was a temporary escape. Right. So you're 13 and you turn, the book said the first thing you tried was marijuana. Is that right? 
Okay. So where does a 13-year-old help educate parents right here? Where does the 13-year-old go to get marijuana? I'm going to tell you, ma'am, there is marijuana anywhere you go these days. Like, and even those days, like there was a ton of kids just in my school. And, you know, 13, you're in about sixth grade. So, you know, that's sixth to eighth grade. There's some older kids. And generally, the way that, I mean, with me in particular was, you know, most kids have older brothers and older sisters, and that's what they do. And they want to be the cool, like their older family member who's doing this. And and it gets passed down to them, and then it gets passed around to their friends. And, you know, it's just a, it's a spider web effect, and it just spirals out of control out of control quickly. He wasn't really one to, like, be told what to do. But uh, I think the kids he was hanging around with, that's what they were doing. But was there peer pressure? Like, do you need to be doing this with yeah. us? There was that. Most definitely. For sure. Peer pressure played a part in it. And um, I didn't have that. I do now. It's complete. It's like night and day. But, you know, most – that's a big thing with immaturity that goes hand in hand is just lack of willpower because you're not mature enough to, you know, make your own decisions for yourself. So you just would rather be a follower than a leader. And you'd rather just get in where you fit in than stick out like a sore thumb. And with the people that I was with around at that time, all the wrong people, you know, that was the thing that was going on. And they are available in Christian schools. I don't think there's a lot of difference between a public school and a private school. And we have seen that in our family as well. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, like my oldest grandson's 10. So when I read your book, of course, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, ring the bell. Let everybody start paying attention to everything that's going on in that young man's life. And, you know, let's let's start doing what we need to be doing. And I'm all about prayer and all that. And I remember your mom having a sign that said, believe it was in her office. It was in her home. Like that was her mantra. You believe, you believe, you believe. And she stood on the word of God. And there are many things I remember about your mom during those those years that I happened to be with her. And, you know, you, you, you as a grandparent, you think all those things now, but the reality is this is real life. This is really going to happen. It's going to hit them in the face. And I know just from working with students that one shot of heroin and you're addicted, like you are addicted. There is no looking back. So when you start with alcohol, marijuana, and in your book, you just kind of climb the ladder, you know, to the ultimate stuff. um, And then you can't get out of it. You know, that that's scary stuff. So give parents, give parents something here that they can hold on to. What's something, you know, they can do? Of course, we're going to pray. Of course, we're going to do all that. But what what is it? What's the key here? Um, You know, main thing is I would I would say, first off, you know, just pay attention because their body language and their actions and their mannerisms in general are going to tell you what they're doing. Because now she's probably a veteran at that. She could spot a drug user from a mile away right now. She could because you're another person. You act completely different. I'm insensitive. I don't have any emotions. I don't care what my loved ones think. I do what I want to do. And that is just such the wrong mindset. So I'll tell you the main thing that I would say is just, of course, pray. That's number one. But the main thing that I would do just that you can do within yourself is just watch. Watch them. Try to be involved in their life. Try to speckle in some positive activities that they might think are kind of cool, but you know it's beneficial to their lifestyle as well. 
you know, and I would try to speckle those in and just pay attention because their body language is going to tell you anyway, you know, so you, you just got to see if their, if their friends change, are they starting to hang out at different places? Who are they hanging out with? Why, you know, what, what's going on at these places? Just do a little investigation on your own. Don't look like you're prying, but just try to be in the know. And that alone is going to tell you because behavior changes are the number one red flag that you can spot it from a mile away. And as parents, I think we have to be proactive. We obviously put in those prayer strategies, but I'm telling you the truth. Uh, we tore his room once we realized uh, drugs is a, even though he was lying to us, we know, we knew drugs was a part of his life. We tore his room apart, trying to find them. A lot of times he would do those not at our house. So they would not be there, but we were in his room, you know, and at first until he, we were trying to like, Oh, let's just go invade his privacy. But at some point when you realize your son is on a downhill spiral on drugs, uh, your privacy in your own bedroom is not my number one concern. My number one concern is helping you and getting out of this lane. But we would go through his room. There were times he would slip out at night. We would change the codes. We, we nailed his window shut. We took the door off the hinges. I mean, John Mark, as his daddy, stayed on him. That really and happened. It, it really did. And nailed his <laughs> nailed his window, took the door off of his hinges, so we could hear him coming and going. I mean, we hardly slept at all. But as a as a man, the father figure, I believe, in their life is so important. We need to help Amen. young men know how to communicate. If you're mad, let's figure out how to put words to those feelings. You're. I'm not going to go off the deep end. There were a couple of times I think Jared didn't tell us things because of probably how he thought we might react. And we got to the point, we said, whatever you tell us, we're, we're not going off the deep end here. We're going to work through it together. Just say it. Just say whatever. You can tell us anything. And we, we stayed on about friends. I'm calling friends, parents. I'm checking up on things. I am running everything down. Um, if he's going down, it's not, he's not going down without a fight for me and, and from his dad. And his dad was a man of few words, and he'd get his few words in, and he'd leave. So no long lectures, no why are you doing this to us, really doesn't help. But a, a, a man's presence, I believe, is important, would you say? For sure. Most definitely. Well, there's part one of the interview with Debbie and Jared. Part two is in the next episode. Don't you know?